Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Ratatouille, Dadcore, and science. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. Just a quick note, uh, we have a guest on today's Tomorrow, the podcaster, Wendy Zuckerman, who hosts a podcast called Science Versus. Uh, that'll be coming up a little bit later in the episode. But first, we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the news. Hello. We're we're better than ever, except, uh, Ryan, you were saying that you've been throwing up for 24 hours straight. I'm not feeling is... my best, but you know what? <laughs> we're living in a post-Trump America. I could I could be well, we o- almost, headless. almost, almost post-Trump. He's having a big press conference right now, actually, I think. In fact, let me just check Twitter because anyhow, you guys will hear this. This will already be news. Yeah, you guys all already know that he's doing a violent coup or something. Let's see what he's doing. Let's see what he's doing. He's deploying the military to the streets of major cities in America. Twitter's down, so that's not a good sign. Like it it might be actually down. Let me try a new tab. Yeah, it won't load for me. Oh no. (laughs) He's like, I'm taking out Twitter. Um, that's problematic. How am I going to get my information? I guess I'm going to have to go on Parler now. I guess that's it. I have no choice. Ooh, I've got to log on to, I mean, I'm sorry, not Parler, Parlay. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact, I think it's incredible that the people who created Parler, who are a bunch of ch- like right wing chuds, were like, people will definitely know this is a French word and to pronounce it with the, in the French, in a French way. Not like we did a Silicon Valley misspelling of the word Parler, which often is like a means like a place where people gather at any rate um so trump's doing a coup or something but uh yeah so you're not feeling well but you don't care because it's we're post trump almost uh and Lawrence is catching everybody up if you missed the first 30 seconds of this podcast um and uh, no it's great we're having a great freezing cold week in new york and there's a lot of stuff going on and 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 i'm and i think the entirety of our trump conversation is ending right now well, what else do you want to talk about? You want to well, talk about like, the cyberpunk phone? I do want to talk about the cyberpunk phone. So, 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 so Ray got these. Are, this is a China exclusive. The company OnePlus made a cyberpunk twenty seventy seven uh, themed phone that comes in this like cool box with all of these like pins and like other stuff, and it's like a custom, like totally custom uh, version of the OnePlus eight T. It looks different. It has all the cyberpunk branding on it. It has a, its interfaces all done up in like cyberpunk 2077 style. It has a boot a boot sequence that is very cyberpunky. Looks like something from a from from a game like cyberpunk 2077. I mean, the hilarity, of course, is you know the game doesn't exist, and as 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 far as I'm concerned, will never exist. Uh, as you know, as you know, my new theory about cyberpunk 2077 is that it's never going to come out. And and I stand by that. Uh, but the phone is out, and I I like I want the phone. I mean, Ray, I I feel like Ray already liked this phone a lot and said it was really good. And now that there's, and I don't even go in for these like themed things, but I like it yeah. when it's. I like I like like Fallout did this with um whatever I think it was Fallout Four. They did the they did the arm thing. What's it called? The uh, I can't think of the name of it. But they had a thing where you could put like a phone Hip in boy. it. 
the Pip Boy. Boy, and you could wear it on your arm, and it was like from the world of uh, the game. And I like this because it kind of seems like it's from the world of the game, less like an artifact. No, but it's like not like a thing like promote. I mean, yes, of course, promoting the game, but it also feels like it could be a thing that is in the game, which I like. Uh, and but it feels then, like people put a lot of effort into it. Yes, it's not just a plug. Yes, but then I started shopping for it, and I was like, "Well, you can't really get it." And then I got led down a rabbit hole yeah. of these of these like cyberpunk cases for iPhones that have LEDs in them. And now I have like one hundred and eighty dollars worth of cases in a cart somewhere, like trying to figure out which one I want to get. They all are completely ridiculous and heinous, but I'm I don't. But I think the whole cyberpunk thing is ridiculous. Also, I should say, but it's like you know Tumblr, it's like cyberpunk Tumblr basically, which I'm into, and I'm into that you know. Uh, coming forth into the real world and us being saturated in it. Uh, but I was thinking the other day um, on this topic, not to go on, not to, not to ramble here, but I was thinking how much the world we live in is really the kind of bleak cyberpunk future that has been predicted. I know people have talked about this and it's been written about. And, you know, of course it's been kind of, uh, uh, you know, it's been a longstanding like uh, sort of trope that we are going to, you know, have this dystopic um, sort of miserable cyberpunk existence and that all of the, the stuff like Blade Runner that has presaged it is coming to fruition. And I think that's true in some ways. And, and I mean, we got some things really, really right. And we we got some things really wrong. But I do think, you know, the more I look around the world, the more I see what's happening. Uh, the pandemic obviously is a part of it. But but I think just the the way that we live now, it does like if you showed people this, you know, twenty years ago. I think if you showed them what what the world is like now, twenty years ago, it is one hundred percent like a, a dystopia science fiction movie, and and it's it's, you know, I don't know if we should congratulate all the people who predicted this, or if we should be depressed because we couldn't see more of it coming, you know, um, but. I, it's just so much of what I've read in science fiction and enjoyed or seen in science fiction has become such a dark reality. And there's something thrilling about it, you know, like presumably, you know, whenever there's something sort of, sort of tragic happening, there's also something a little bit thrilling. And I do think that there's a part of our problem as humans is that we get thrilled by tragedy, you know, and then we get thrilled by the drama of it. Um, but there is something like thrilling about realizing it, but also something deeply depressing. And 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 I wonder if and I you know this is all by the way thoughts that are based on our conversation about the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven uh, Android device. You know, I wonder if we could ever pull up out of it, or if it's just going to be just a dis further descent into this kind of darkness that we've been enveloped. We have in. to be willing to not have we have to be willing to like push against convenience or like quote unquote innovation for the sake of innovation, because a lot of the times that stuff is only made possible by like fascistic corporate overlords who control every aspect of the process. And we need to like have some values that are like, you know, it's important that one company doesn't own all of retail or even 30%. Like that's <laughs> a very important thing to have as a nation and we right. have to like stick to that rather than be like let amazon build robots to bring you stuff like that's right. not gonna lead anywhere well, good i get it I, it's easier than shipping but like i haven't seen anybody go in the direction of harder you know or more complicated or I slower know. i mean I, I don't so ugh. but i also feel myself don't you feel yourself as part of it when you like 
get in, you order your two day delivery and it comes, it takes like three days to get there. And you're like, what the fuck? How could this, yes how could no. this be? I've started to push against some of this stuff and push against well, and make, doing things that are more difficult rather than like, then you're a better man than most, but, but I think so. It's hard. It's hard I like to think so. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it is interesting though. I mean, we, you know, some things are, 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 are new and convenient and that's fine. I mean, are, 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 but, but, but some of them, I mean, Amazon is a great example, but you know, it's like, it is, I mean, at no time ever could we, could we point to in, 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 in history and say, and, and, and be able to like more, more clearly point out how valuable something is in the case of, in the case of, of deliveries. I mean, it's massively important for so many people that we're able to get things delivered because it's just really not safe, especially right now as coronavirus is, you know, just ravaging the entire country. Yes and no, though. I think there is a certain amount that is a luxury and is excess that we don't need. Like people got around like not having Amazon for millennia like we don't necessarily need every chinese doohickey to be delivered to our door within 48 no, hours i, I agree but you've got it then you start you know it's kind of like you're splitting hairs but people do need there are things they need that are necessities that that amazon is delivering and that other people are delivering obviously groceries of course if we got down to brass tax we go like yeah i don't need to order socks on amazon like i no. have enough socks or whatever you know yes there are luxury levels of this there are also you know there are also things like i need you know, I'm at home. I'm working from home now. I can't go into the office. I need this thing to work from home. Amazon can get it to me tomorrow. Like that's, that is a necessity for a lot of people, right? It's like, I need to be able to do this thing and I don't have a way to go to a store and get that thing right now. There's a lot of that happening, right? My kids need this thing for at home learning. You know, my, my kids need this thing for, to be distracted and have something to do because they can't go to a a normal school day. I mean, those are real. I mean, I've, I certainly feel like I've, you know, we got a swing for Zelda, uh, that we put on a tree here because it's like it's not that great to go to to parks and they're fine for the most part but if they're really crowded and there's a lot of kids on the swing he's like you kind of don't want to like throw the kid in there and it's so it's like things like that that's real but yes i agree sure. you know and then, my cyberpunk phone case i don't need to have delivered overnight but there's also the thing of like yes uh, all this innovation does serve a purpose like there are problems that are actually problems that are being solved a hundred percent but then there's stuff like and we i don't want to talk extensively about this but there's stuff like fleets which is just a copy of instagram stories which is a copy of snapchat stories which is a copy (laughs) of and we're at the point now where the only reason that fleets exist is because they serve twitter advertisers better and that's really it do they have ads i haven't Not yet, but when they do roll out ads, they're full screen ads that take over the thing and that you have to interact with to get to the more content, which makes them so much better than tweets you just scroll by. But people, well, tweet ads are very bad. I mean, you've got to admit. Most ads ads are bad. Most ads are bad. Twitter can exist without necessitating an entire advertising ecosystem. That's a (laughs) choice that we made. It actually can't. No, it actually can't. It actually can't because nobody would pay for Twitter. And it has in another it, world where there was a regulation on this stuff and it was a dollar to use social media sites. I feel like people would pay the dollar a week or whatever. I, I, n- none of these websites would, Facebook would not exist if you had to pay for it. Okay. It not, maybe now if they were like, if tomorrow well, they were like, that doesn't if, sound so bad to me. No, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. It doesn't sound so bad to me either. But I'm saying that the only model that has worked for these businesses to become big 
for meaningful. Now. I understand. I am agreeing. The advertising bubble is about to burst. I mean, maybe and maybe not. I mean, the, but the reality is it's working for Facebook. It's working for a lot of uh, publishers. You know, we happen to participate. I mean, our publication happens to participate in that. Um and but it's every- different. I think I think it is different with our website or with publications because we curate like advertising experiences that go with what our content is, and I think it's just different than algorithmically yeah, generated. But like- Instagram, but Instagram ads are very effective. I mean, Instagram ads are very good. Most people would probably tell you, and I would actually say, I hate to say this, but I will say it. I find that Instagram serves me ads that are often I'm like, oh, this is something I'm interested in. And I do like will follow through and, and, and explore that thing. Like it is better at knowing or having an idea of what I might want to see in the Instagram experience than a lot of other places. Like I don't get served a lot of ads anywhere else where I'm like, yes, that makes sense. Instagram, however, does get it right. Twitter presumably thinks that it could get it right. Facebook probably goes, we get it right a lot because people click on these ads and buy stuff. The the but the reality is. Um, I, I just wish your, there was a. I wish there was a place to have conversations that wasn't a mall. Well, there are, but they're, but they're, but they're not social networks. They're conversations with, you know, they're. I don't know Reddit, like group chats. I mean, okay, sorry, we're far afield on the topic, but the Cyberpunk seventy seven twenty seventy seven phone. But no, but like, but what I, but I guess to your point, like the fleets thing is interesting and we should talk about it maybe at length but i mean it's not that interesting it's like yes fleets are essentially instagram stories put into twitter those same things have been put into facebook they're in and they're some originally other, from snapchat they're originally from snapchat yeah. yeah i mean i do think and and frankly we have a product called card stories that we do storytelling in that's a similar experience i do think there is something that is very that makes a lot of sense about that kind of mobile first presentation i don't think when you think about what twitter does best which is frankly very little at this point but what twitter does best um is not uh is not like a visual full screen mobile storytelling experience it's also not what their users do best right like i feel like our card stories on the site are made by editors whose job it is to make good card stories. I don't think most people uh, yes, of course. make very it's... good Instagram stories or well, but matter. people but people make stories that their friends or whoever follows them appreciate. And um you know, it's 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 uh you know it, it I think that makes sense on some level. I think that makes sense on a kind of fundamental um, sort of one to one or one to a few level, and frankly, influencers have had a lot of success. And TikTok is a great example of how that kind of you know single view, single you know full screen mobile experience can be very impactful. I just think, um, you know, I, I, does it work in the context of Twitter? Does it work in the context of Facebook? I mean, they may think, and maybe it's true that it does. I don't know. Eventually, people are either going to, you know, they're going to find places where they use it or they don't use it. I've found very little use in general on Instagram for the stories function, right? Mm-hmm. But, but then again, I'm not like a really heavy Instagram user. I mean, I'm sort of. There's people for whom most of the internet is Instagram. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get that. I, I, I guess I don't. I mean, I'm. My plan in life is to is to tune out of social media increasingly. That's my. So I'm. I'm the wrong audience for this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm the audience that's like, how do I get? And I actually think that this will be. You're going to see a significant change in a post Trump world. That 
people are going to want to see news less. They're going to want to see information less. They're going to want to be more tuned out. And by the way, come 2021, when there's widespread vaccinations for coronavirus, like, you know, uh, back half back yeah. half of 2021, well, I'll tell you what people aren't going to want to do a lot, which is sit at home and read a newsletter or well, read a Twitter feed. Yes, They're going to want to go and that's see That's why people. I've been saying since the beginning of this that the minute that there's a vaccine and, like, we get the all go-ahead, I think we're going to get a swing in the direction of, like, warehouse parties and book clubs and, like, restaurant. People yeah, are going to be and we're gonna, out in the goddamn street. I agree. I agree. And we're going to go – we're going to find some way to g- – Get a new virus that's even I'm worse than coronavirus. With everyone, okay. Well, that's not. <laughs> don't do that. There's a lot of reasons that you shouldn't have sex with everyone. Um, but at any rate, so I do think like there's a change coming. I do think there's a post. No one wants to live like this. Only, only, only people with very broken brains want to live very, like this. Very sick people. I mean, like, like, like no one's joining Parlor. Okay. I mean, like, like normal people aren't going to join a new social network now. It's I love like, Parlor. I think it's such a good idea to put all the no, no. I agree. In one I agree. And I, let them eat each other alive. I'm pro. I'm very pro Parlor. I think go, go on there. You know, get over Be there. Horrible get, to you each know, other. Ben Shapiro and whoever else. What other fucking right wing losers? Go uh, get on Parlor and do your thing together. I think that's Please. wonderful. Everywhere else in the world, we'll just it'll just be normal people doing normal things, talking about normal things. Yeah. You guys um, want to go to KKK meetings? That's legal. You should go do it at a KKK meeting. And the, if that fi- if you find that to be a self-sustaining society, well, then I guess we'll have a conversation. But I have a feeling yeah. in a, if, before long, those paces will all separate into factions of like hating the Irish. And Listen, like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, I, it'll, I just, think, it'll mutate into like other kinds of racism and hatred. So I think, yeah. And I think you have to also remember, and we're very far afield from our core topic, but you have to remember that, you know, right now, Donald Trump is still president and he still can do whatever he wants on Twitter. And people still have to pay attention to him. And Republican lawmakers still have to listen to him. And Democrats still have to like counter him, but there will be a point in the near future where that doesn't, that isn't real anymore. And like, I don't really actually see, I don't know. I know that Twitter probably kind of needs Donald Trump to exist on their platform, but I'm not really sure how long he can exist given the ground rules that they've laid out for users. Like, I think there will, there will come a point where people are like, this person's obviously violating these ground rules and you've got to deal with it and they've deplatformed a lot of people and you know who i don't hear a lot about milo yannanopoulos or alex jones or like these are people i don't hear about i don't think about i don't see for the most part nine nine times out of ten i'm there's not twitter in the existed it existed before donald trump it existed before not like hordes of nazis it will exist after and it will be better for it so no, like, it will be it will be better when when people maybe can their converse, market cap will go down but like i mean when people can have a i mean it will go down but maybe they'll maybe they'll find something else that's better than having rage po- like maybe they'll find something else maybe we'll find that twitter's better for something other than replying to donald trump's Dumps. latest tweet with you lost asshole or whatever we're all doing now every time he tweets you know um so yeah there's that anyhow so yeah the cyberpunk 2077 phone i really want it and to recap i'd really love to get the oneplus at cyberpunk 2077 edition and if somebody wants to send it to me as an early hanukkah or christmas present i'm not going to stop you and in fact i'm going to applaud you that's to round that (laughs) completely on topic topic out 
Well, in another area of our expertise, we yes. have a piece on the site from uh, Giovanna Osterman that's about uh, dad shoes and dad streetwear and like the like the explosion in dad wear that has happened culturally. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I say as a dad, of course, you know, I'm I'm intimately familiar with dad wear uh, and dad culture, um, which is what is it? Um but it's comfortable uh, it's pandemic chic it's it's an it's an evolution of athleisure it's this own thing that like is having a moment where you know we all want to be comfortable but we're still being seen on zoom or instagram or whatever so we have these like faded bulky squishy comfortable shoes and sweatshirts and i mean i'm wearing it sounds like a dream style. I'm, I'm well. I do think there's been. I mean, I've certainly, you know, I used to wear you know clothes that were appropriate for work, and I didn't, I didn't go into work in suits and stuff. But I tried to look, you know, like a normal human that was relatively presentable. Um, certainly, working from home, I am. I mean, I'm currently wearing a pair of uh, Nike shoes um, that are they're called. Um, the uh offline the nike offline and they're basically like gigantic puffy slippers with like massage insoles they have these like little like nubs on the inside i don't remember if you got a pair of these or not but several people on the on the input team got them i wear them constantly and i love them and they're incredibly comfortable uh they're shoes that i would never wear in public and in fact i've actually tried to you know only wear them in the house as much as 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 possible um and you know i'm like i'll go out in a, i'll go out if i have to run to the store which i do i'll wear sweatpants which i never have done before uh and i'm i'm sort of i'm pro people i like when people get dressed up i'm not like fancy but i like when people i like to see people you want to see stylish. a little effort i like a, i like a little effort i i don't i'm not a fan of like you see people in like their pajamas on the street, which you do sometimes around like where we live, you know, they're like at the bagel shop in the morning in their pajamas. Like, that's cool. But personally, I'm, I wouldn't, you know, uh, but I do feel like this has been a real interesting moment for us. But I, and I think that, you know, the dad wear thing is, is associated with it, but is also in many ways its own beast, you know, because dad clothing, I mean, you know, there's like mom jeans, right. That we've talked about for a long time. There's been dad, like, like for instance, in this feature, the top image is a picture of these like Nike, these presumably very expensive Nike, uh, shoes that look like the kinds of shoes that my dad has been wearing for like 20 years or 30 years. Okay. Like these chunky, mostly white, really like they look really comfortable, but they also look kind of insane you know and like he will he'll wear them with like slacks and i think you know it's a very specific kind of it's not laziness exactly it's just like comfort it's just comfort over not over anything but it's like as much comfort as you can get out of clothes that still look remotely presentable and so i think you know I, that makes a lot of sense for where we are in the world i think it also i think there's also this more underlying thing about dad the dad streetwear sort of um, uh, fusion, which is there is a longing for um, a feeling of safety and comfort that I think a lot of people have, not everybody, but many people have associations with when they they think of their fathers and they think of their life as a child 
And I think there is a little bit of, I, and parents are also known for opting for utility and pragmatism. A hundred percent. Yes. Right. I mean, there's so, there's so much of like what you would consider like your parents, like clothing choices. Like mom that are, jeans. Yeah. Mom jeans. Exactly. Or they're not wearing them because they're trying to make a fashion statement. They're, they're com- presumably comfortable, you know, they're comfortable, uh, they're functional, they're durable. You know, when you, you bend over, your ass the, isn't hanging yeah. out, you know, you, you have to get to the schoolyard by 8am and you know that they're going to work. Yeah. I I mean, the the there is functional for you know if form over function uh, is 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 has been inverted here. I think, and I think that's a good thing in a lot of ways. But I think there's also like a little bit of a return to you know when you think about parents' clothing and dads' clothing, it's also just utilitarian clothing, right? It's like stuff that will just work in any situation, stuff that is unfussy that you don't have to go like, all right, what is, how is this going to, you know, does this go with this? Does that go with that? It's like, it's a pair of basic shoes. It's a pair of basic jeans. It's a sweatshirt. It's just stuff that is like easy, right? And I think that we do want right now, we want easy. Like, I think that complexity is is something that people are trying to avoid in every... I can't every... even imagine. I can't even imagine putting on, like, a, an outfit that's very complicated and, like, that I have to get pressed and new shoes that I have to shine. Like, no. I n- never right now. Yeah. No, Maybe and it's, li- it's... Honestly, it's liberating. I, I will say also this. You know, it's like I've been at home for nine months, like, not working out real hard. You know, I put, I put on a couple of pounds. I don't really feel like trying to get into my, like, jeans that just fit. Like nine months ago, they just fit right. Now they kind of just don't. I'm like, yeah, I don't need to like sit in those jeans all day. I can put on some fucking sweatpants and enjoy life. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of stuff going into it. I do believe that uh, it's interesting. Jeff Ahaza, who uh, is an editor at Mike.com, was previously a writer at The Outline, wrote a piece at The Outline. I think we've talked about this before that I loved about how workwear was the future of fashion. And I think very much like, Workwear, I think dad stuff. I mean, there is a, certainly a relationship, right? I think historically there's a relationship between like quote unquote workwear, like overalls, you know, that like the men would wear at the factories in 1930 or whatever, and like the kind of workwear that people wear now is like a fashion statement. We bought these, um, these one piece like uh, a mechanics, uh, what do you call them? Like jumpsuits. Remember, you know, we bought these for CES and they all of the input team wore them at CES and, and they were. Not only were they incredibly comfortable and I think very cool looking, but they were super functional. They had a lot of pockets. They were like easy to get in and out of. It was like you didn't need to – it was like you didn't need to think about like anything but like, okay, I've got shoes on. i got my jumpsuit on. I'm good to go. And so I do think there's an interesting um, – I think the future of fashion is – it is this – comfort obviously is a part of it. I do think like the uncomfortable like – you know, it's not how you feel; it's how you look. Kind of stuff is 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 will be coming to a close in some way, um, especially as we're in when your performance is taking place on Instagram or Twitter or or TikTok, and it's not taking place like on the streets of your city. I mean, or in your friend group. Like, yes, there's performance there, but people can perform anywhere now. They perform everywhere to some extent. So, like, you can look good for a picture and then move on with your life and wear whatever the fuck you want. I think that there is this. The future of fashion is definitely going to be focused more on um uh, uh function and f- and comfort but also you know there's a, there's a i think fashion's going to slow down and i think we're already starting to see it that there is a, that the industry of fashion is relatively unsustainable in the sense that you know there are some things that are obviously hot right now like new shoes in limited quantities but they are limited quantities of shoes right like we're they're not producing hundreds of thousands of these like 
Nike shoes. Like you can't even get a pair, right? They're very hard to come by. So I do think that like scarcity and and more longevity in clothing is is the future of fashion to some extent. It's also like obviously horrible for the environment to have these like fast fashion stores like H and M and the Gap, where it's just like every two weeks there's a bunch of new clothes there that get thrown in the garbage. So I think like there there is something to um that, that intersects with the dad movement, the dad fashion, dad bod, dad clothing movement that is that makes a lot dad core, norm core, whatever you want to call it, that makes a lot of sense for the future, for the dystopian future we're all going to be living in. Uh, we have another piece on the site that's really interesting um, by Ralph Jones, which is about um, YouTube Rewind, which is not happening this year. Can you explain, is... hold on, can you explain to the viewer, the listener, whoever it is, Tony, can you explain to Tony what YouTube Rewind is? So YouTube Rewind is every year YouTube creates a short video, obviously a YouTube video, um, that encompasses all the biggest moments from YouTube culture. So they try to bring in their biggest creators and all their moments. Like if there was like a, a lizard who did a backflip and everybody loved that lizard, um, that lizard would be part of the video. And mm. they sort of mash it up and they try to make it into like an entertaining end of year event. Yes. Um, there is a, a Weezer song called Pork and Beans. Have you ever heard of it? Like, I want to say it's like from 2005 or 2006 or something, maybe even earlier. The video for Pork and Beans is all of these internet memes at the, that, were, that were popular at the time, like that now seem like so hilarious and ridiculous to us. Like remember the history of dance guy, like yeah. that guy and Tay Zonday, remember Tay Zonday, Chocolate Rain? Yeah. Like and, and, and in fact, very moving song, Chocolate Rain. Yes, actually, Chocolate Rain is an incredible song. But people like from that era, so the, the video of Pork and Beans, like the the lightsaber kid, you know, the Star Wars kid or whatever, the, the karate guy who falls, knocks himself over or whatever, like they're all in that video. Mm -hmm. And it's actually kind of, it, it really is sort of brilliant on the part of Weezer to presage what I think is essentially what YouTube Rewind is, which is it's like all of the, all of the stuff that everybody knows from the year compacted into like one, like how long was the video? Like five minutes or something? Yeah. Maybe it's longer than that. But it's also like all of the popular creators, right? Yes. It, yeah. It's usually less than 10. And you were um, saying people don't like it. They're not doing it this year, not just because people don't like it, um, but because of COVID. Uh, but people are very relieved because they hate it so much. And the reason that they hate it so much and that they've grown to hate it more and more over the years is that like YouTube... And what YouTube is has changed, and it's very hard to pin down. And so what you end up seeing is sort of what YouTube wishes it only were, which is the most com like commercialized, successful creators, the most whitewashed memes, the most friendly, family-adjacent um, uh, personalities in different topics. So they pick someone who's good at makeup and someone who's good at dancing and someone who's like funny. And then they mash them all together. And for a community that is so big and, and so the point of which is that you can post anything and that you can um, cater to whatever niche you want and you don't need to be as commercial or mainstream as you would need to to sell a television show. It's very frustrating to see like the Try Guys do like a Harlem Shake with Rebecca Black while the, you know, <laughs> baby shark baby is in the background. Uh. People are really put off by it. And unfortunately, we spoke to, uh, we spoke to, Ralph spoke to, um, a bunch of the people at Google who put these together and they work really hard to try to make something fun, but it's an impossible task. And yeah. 
it's really hard for YouTube to do what other places do. Like if MTV wants to do a year end wrap up, they can like hit their biggest shows with their biggest stars and nobody feels left out. But on YouTube, if you go there and you just listen to philosophy channels, you're not going to be in the fun Harlem shake dance video. So then you're like, this isn't really YouTube to me. And it feels inauthentic. Right. Right. It's like, like ContraPoints doesn't feel like a good fit. No. With with like pizza rat or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yes. I don't know. Pizza pizza rat isn't really a YouTube thing, but you know, that's the idea. Like Logan Paul or whatever. But even the people who are huge on the platform, who are ostensibly or were YouTube's most marketable personalities like Logan Paul or PewDiePie are now embroiled in such horrifying Nazi-adjacent scandals that they don't include them, and yet they're a huge part of their money-making machine. And so it's just it always is going to strike you as inauthentic. It's always going to strike you as corporate. It's always going to strike you as as cloying. And so, I mean, maybe I maybe this is the year they just let rewind to die, and they don't like keep doing this. I, I let other people do it. If I they don't think do we it. need it. I don't think we need it. I think that 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 YouTube as a platform is too diffuse to just celebrate this concept of like a YouTube creator or moment because they're not really homogenous. To your point, I mean, they're just not. It's not. It, it is. It is as much a platform for a variety of voices as like Reddit is, right? And it's yeah. like you couldn't do a Reddit rewind because there's like a million communities on Reddit, and they're all wildly different. And, and the only thing that unites them is that they're all different. And so the YouTube well, and they rewind use and they use that platform, but it's like you can't celebrate the platform. It's that's yeah, not like, what. Oh, we all got likes or whatever. Yeah, it's um, like you know, we but, can pa- you can pause it. <laughs> but but like, the YouTube Rewind 2018 is now the most disliked video on all of YouTube, even more than Justin Bieber's baby video. Because the only thing that really united people in 2018 was like that they found it annoying and cloying. And I think you Google and YouTube would be very smart to just to, to start to sunset some of these instincts they had. Call to it. Turn yeah. YouTube into like, you know, you know, put fun time zone. Put the time and money into that you're putting into rewind into coming up with an effective way to uh, moderate uh, Nazis and misinformation off of your platform. You know, like. Yeah. Do that. Uh, find a way to not have your do comments. that challenge. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> find a way to have your comments not be like an absolute automatic cesspool every time anybody posts anything. You know, like yeah, there, there are lots of things YouTube could do to help people that are not uh, not a rewind. Sorry, just catching up. Totally off topic here, but just catching up with um, what's going on. Rudy Giuliani is doing a press conference. Uh, and I think he he said that Detroit was in Pennsylvania, and he referred to the Philadelphia Eagles as a basketball team. So, oh and I I'm not a sports fan, but even I know that that is very incorrect. <laughs> I bet you the people so, of Philadelphia are thrilled about this. <laughs> honestly, I mean, this was Trump's big move. Uh, I was already nauseous. Why did you have to bring up Rudy Giuliani? R- Rudy Giuliani is. I mean, I mean, this is just. I'm sorry. Is Trump trying to look like a fool? Is he yeah. trying to look like a fool? I can't tell because it seems like he is. That's the only conclusion. I'm, one. I mean, make. any normal person would go like, you know what? This looks really, really, really bad. I've gotten beaten in like 25 different court cases. My a bunch of my lawyers have quit. And now Rudy Giuliani is just like talking. Not, how does he not go like, you know what? I understand that people are still paying attention, but it's not the right attention. <laughs> 
It's insane. It's uh, nuts. There's no such thing as bad advertising or whatever. Oh, um, my God. Oh. All press is good press. Um, I don't know about that. Well, let's move on from the Rudy Giuliani of it all because, again, oh, my let's. nausea can't go any further or I won't be able to do the show. Uh, we have an interview today for the first time in a very long time. As, as promised, as promised months ago, we were going to get back into interviews. And if now it's Trump real. lost, and he did. If Trump, if Trump lost. I don't think that was part of it, but it's still. <laughs> Anyhow, we do have a great interview. Why don't we take a break? Okay. Get this thing underway. My guest today is Wendy Zuckerman, host of the podcast Science Versus, and I'm very happy to have her here. Uh, Wendy, thank you for joining the Tomorrow Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I, was, I had a longer intro planned where I talked about how uh, you were in this difficult position of, of pitting truth and facts against the rest of the world. Anyhow, I'm, it's, I guess I'm talking about it now. But but you, So you have a podcast, which is fantastic, and everybody should go listen to it. You can find it on Spotify or wherever you get your, po- your podcasts. Uh, and the concept is essentially – actually, why don't you explain the concept of the podcast for, for, for the, the one or two listeners of tomorrow that have tuned in here? Um, <laughs> sure. Tell, tell, them, tell them what uh, you do. On your show. Great. Um, so Science Versus, the whole point of Science Versus is to take ideas that are in the zeitgeist, things that people care about, and basically put them under the scientific microscope and ask, you know, is this thing you care about, you know, maybe is this thing that you're scared of, do you need to be as scared of it? as as you are as people around you might be telling you you should be um is maybe cbd it was being sold in your corner store is that the thing that you actually need to be taking to make your life better right now and yeah the hopefully what uh we try to do on the show is is keep things light and fun and just remind people that like knowledge is fun and doesn't have to be nerdy 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 or you were silly for thinking that or anything like that it's just right. we all just want to live our lives and be as happy as possible and like science and facts can help you do that so we are here to help you with that as well so you you used you just use cbd as an example um but 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 the show itself i mean not to say you don't talk about things like cbd but you also talk about things like reparations uh, and 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 uh, lab grown meat and like topics that are v- that can be very very CBD is not that controversial I would say yeah 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 um, we talked about um in our first season I think we did abortion and gun control yeah which are which are certainly in America and I think you know globally for the most part are very hot button um, issues that have a lot of uh, passion on on many sides of those arguments, and um, frankly, there are a lot of those types of 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 topics that you cover that aren't just well. I have a very passionate opinion, but you've got stuff where you're talking about the scientific facts about things versus an entire universe of of uh, just fabrication of of misinformation and 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 um misinterpretations and lies you know to be to be very realistic so what is it like how is it how what is it what was the you know first off what does it feel like to be doing a podcast right now that's about facts and science where you're literally sort of telling people this is what the expert this is what the data this is what the, the scientists tell us and you have an entire universe of people 
uh, saying, well, we don't believe what the experts say. We don't care what science tells us. We don't think those numbers are true. And we have our own set of facts that totally refutes that. What is the, how does that feel to you to be doing the podcast in an environment where we are increasingly, yeah. sorry, I don't mean to sound very depressing, <laughs> no, no, but I mean, increasingly up against a wall of yeah, just like total bullshit. I, I, to I absolutely feel that every day. And I think so you know, I have this amazing team uh, that helps me make each episode and we've been making this show for about five years now. And it's really interesting because when I started making it back in Australia, the, the word fake news didn't exist. Like, remember that time? It was only yeah. some- I long for that time. Right? Yes. I, I, I mean, and the idea of Science Versus was there was so much excitement in Australia and then it crossed over into America about, oh, you know, there was this- it was this time where the internet people were realizing there's a lot of guff on the internet and being able to cut through that with science was really cool and exciting right. and fun. Not just for people me. Are like we love, we love hearing science facts. Yeah. We just right? want to know, you know, there was at the time just to like really put people in the time and space of when science versus started. Our first episode was on the paleo diet. Um, and so, which, <laughs> uh, what a time, what a time, what a time, which you would think, but now it's just like the raw meat diet and it's a totally new diet. Um, but actually now you're, it's human flesh exactly, is the diet. Exactly. exactly. Anybody who doesn't agree with you politically <laughs> right. is to be eaten. And so that was, that, and people would genuinely, it felt like, you know, particularly the listeners and those who were drawn to the show, there was a genuine like, oh, paleo diet. I mean, it kind of sounds a bit silly, but at the same time, it's got this kind of interesting evolutionary angle to it. Like what, what is going on there? And so it was just like, oh, wow. Okay. No, there's actually nothing to it. Thank you. Science versus for telling me. And, <laughs> but then over, you know, then I, I moved the show to America um, and to Gimlet Media, which is now Spotify. Um, in 2016, um, some other things also happened in 2016. Um, and the world and America has shifted in the last four years. And there is an anger around facts and a politicization that, you know, we talk about a lot um, around facts. But throughout that, I maintain, and I know people love talking about how, excuse me, but how, how fucked we all are. Like how people have these views and they're so hardened into them and they get in their bubbles on the internet and then they never, never shift. And there's definitely people like that. We all know people like that. We've all, unfortunately, when those bubbles burst for a second and then we're all like, get back in the bubble. Um, we've all met those people, but on yeah. the boundaries there are still so many just curious people who are like, you know, I, I really have heard that, uh, let's take, let's take abortion, for example, you know, I really have heard that increases a woman's risk of depression. Um, and you know, women get really sad afterwards. And, and I really just want to know, is, is that true or not? Is that true? Cause my, cause my uncle John said it was, and I don't, I don't know. And, and we just did this survey. Uh, I was like, your question comes at such a lovely time. We have a survey right now for anyone. <laughs> Perfect. And, um, Perfect. And we've, uh, we're asking people, you know, what they like about science versus what they don't. And, and we've had quite a lot of people who have said like their minds have been changed from listening to the show. One mom said she vaccinated her kid after listening oh to God. our vaccination episode. People, we did a an episode on transgender, the science of transgender, and people said, you know, I have someone in my family, I, I had no idea what was going on in their life, and now I do. Like, I was, I was confused, it felt like a weird thing that was going on, and now I understand it. 
And right. so it's it's possible. It is possible. I don't. I have no right. idea how many people just switch off and go. What does she know? Science. That sounds wrong. But there are people who still want to know the facts, and that there, there are, I'm there, focusing on that. There are people who will tune in and listen to it and go, "Okay, I believe I, it's possible for me to learn something from people who are experts in these fields or who know better than I do." I, th- like that's encouraging, but it is. But you are. I mean. You've got to have that initial curiosity, right? And I think, of course, this is true of any anytime you're making an argument uh, about anything, really. But if you're using, if you're backing that argument up with facts and data and science and experts, you know, the person on the receiving end of the information has to at least have a little bit of the possibility that they want to be or could be convinced of a narrative that is uh, that is uh, anti to what they believe or what they have heard. Totally. Yes. Right. But yeah. They have so, to be coming in with curiosity. So you have to get a willing a kind of willingness there. And 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 has that been I'm curious, like so so you're Australian, correct? Correct. You're from Australia originally. Yeah. You wouldn't know, but uh you do you you don't live in Australia anymore, you do. No, I, I and I should say, I guess I'm like live fact checking myself. So I was I was actually born in America, but I Oh, the truth comes out. Uh, but I, okay. I moved my family moved when I was six months old to Australia okay. and now I live in New York. But you're a do. Oh, you live in New York. Yeah. You're a do. So we we live. We, I actually thought you were very far away. We're actually in the same city. It's just we're the, the echo. same place. It's just like the, the <laughs> it's Very interesting. Um, but but so wait, are you? Is that dual citizenship? I am a dual citizen. Have, that's right. That's oh, right. Oh well, lucky you. Mm-hmm, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I think the term um, is anchor baby. Um, yeah, you're an anchor baby. You're one of the original anchor babies, actually. <laughs> uh, so so you were born here, then, but then you moved at six months. You went to Australia. Yes. And you lived there, and then now you've come back. So so. And and uh, how long have you been in America? Like how long have you been back? So five years. Okay, so you've experienced. You've got the full American experience, yeah, and you've really. I feel like you've that. seen. <laughs> do you see the fall of a, of a, of America at first hand? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm uh, yes, yes. So so is it in? In how long have you been doing the show? Um, it, basically, I I flew over to start making the show in America. So five years, and <laughs> right. that's okay, why I made it. For... But you were doing it. But you were doing it in Australia previously. Yeah, right? yeah, for one for one season. So I made it for okay. um for six months in a, yeah in Australia, and then and so over. has, and your in your perception has the audience has there been, an increasing amount of people that are coming to the show that you're hearing from that are saying in this sea of misinformation and disinformation and just plain out like straight up lies. I'm desperate for things like this that actually tell me things. Are you or are you getting more pushback? Have you felt a rise in people searching for answers or a rise in people angry about the fact that you're trying to provide answers, would you say? Or maybe it doesn't break down like that, but I'm curious. I I we don't have good data. Is the very boring <laughs> question. You're a science I show. know. I know because the problem is you do these surveys. I'm about to totally debunk myself. Yeah. And it's, what's the survey? How do we get the you're talking about a survey? Is there a website? There is a, a website is and it? I would love for anyone who because this is so this is the the bias that the problem is when you ask people to fill out a survey at the end of you know, if you've ever done survey, you know, we'd love to know more. Um it's yeah. the super fans that fill it out. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Right. I've heard a lot of shout outs for surveys. I have never completed a podcast survey. Uh, so no. it is the super fans, which is why we get these lovely notes. What we actually- We, get the, we do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's the people who are like, they are like, I love that feature. And you're like, wow, like less than 1% of people click on that feature on the website. Right. And we have a thousand responses yes. saying they love it. That something doesn't something. check out. 
so we know so I I do know in the corner of my head. So we would love if if your listeners who have just like dabbled in science versus aren't super fans filled it out and, and gave us some feedback. Yes, you could go onto our um our Instagram, which is science versus at uh, v, sorry, uh, science underscore VS or Twitter or all the things. There's, there's, there's a link. Um, Google, Google science versus Instagram and you'll find yes. it. And there's a link somewhere there to a survey and the survey will ask you what? What does the survey ask It will you? ask you things like how often do you listen? What do you not like to listen to the show for? And in that, one of them is like political things like reparations or policing. Um, right. And so we, we're trying to get better data to actually – grapple with some of these questions that you're asking because so I think but but to give you a little more than a fluffy annoying answer that we don't have good data we I mean we definitely have anecdotal evidence that that people are coming because they're just like genuinely curious and I do feel like those people never get talked about in the media because it's not that interesting genuinely curious person read an article changed their mind um (laughs) but like like people who want to know things are not the focus of most stories about people that's right that's right it's like yeah. person was curious about causes of bloating found it out now knows something yeah. um right. you know, not, a, not a story you read in the new york times definitely not. um so so we know there are people coming to the show that having said that on twitter you know the 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 great uh, the great yelling wall of the universe um <laughs> yes. this... our, our public uh, square our, our the town square of, of the world <laughs> exactly there's definitely people i don't even know if they listen to the show who are just like not curious at all they they're not interested in the fact you know there's still people the other day i i tweeted out some numbers around you know the seasonal flu versus coronavirus because at the beginning people were like well you know the seasonal flu kills people every year like i loved it when yeah. i my like my favorite obviously saying that with sarcasm is when people say these things as if scientists and science journalists don't know them oh no way right no way. right well by the way it's not just at the beginning you know they're they're really still there, well there is I mean. which is why I, I sent out the tweet because i was like because now coronavirus has been going for long enough and i and to be fair at the beginning of the coronavirus when we really didn't have good numbers there was a genuine scientific question of of like how how much more dangerous is this um and now right. and now it's been going on for long enough and so you can actually compare it to the other seasonal flus and lots and lots of people are like hmm, interesting interesting there's some you know retweets but then there's obviously those people who are like well it wasn't as bad as the spanish flu though was it right yeah <laughs> And you're like, very Not, it's good. no black plague. Very good. Wow. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. No. It's, um, I mean, what a you good know, point. It's, it's right, but and those people are. You hear from them a lot. They're angry. They're 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 they don't like the facts. I mean, what are they saying to you? I mean, and I don't want to dwell on this too much, but it's like I I to me this is I look at Twitter every day. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. If you don't, I mean, I'm jealous. Uh, but. You know, there's a lot. I mean, I was stunned to. I found myself in a hole the other day of Bitcoin people. Have you done a Bitcoin episode, Ooh, by the I, way? I have not. I have not. Oh my god! What was oh. this hole? Tell me more. I Just, love but, it. Well, it's it's well. What it was was a hole of Bitcoin people. You know, all the Bitcoin people are kind of aligned with libertarianism, mm-hmm. which is sort of really kind of a, for the most part, a weird offshoot of conservatism. But there's, but then the, there's a, a, but you know, it's all about personal freedom and personal responsibility, and and everybody in this in this particular hole, and it's a big hole, it turns out, is like uh, they're pro cryptocurrency, 
anti-facts about the coronavirus in the sense that like it's all a myth you've been lied to 99.9 percent recovery rate uh it's nothing to be afraid of why are we acting like babies and trying to keep people in houses or whatever and it was all this like it's this weird kind of like Mm. you could feel you could feel the offshoot of all of the trump talking points that have kind of that have gone just soaked into the groundwater for certain people. And now they're like, well, I believe in a free market and I believe in personal responsibility. And I believe that, you know, you can't believe everything the the press tells you, or you can't believe everything the scientists tell you. And suddenly you're like, not only do I not believe all of it, but I believe the opposite of it. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the, the whole, that, and it was, it's scary because I think it's like, it's just scary when you're confronted with people and you must hear this all the time who dangerously don't accept things right like not accepting the science about the spread of coronavirus is dangerous to me right it's dangerous to you right if you don't accept it yeah you're like you're more likely to spread it right because you're more likely to go without a mask to not do social distancing to get to to get together in groups all the things that can cause the spread of it yeah so so yeah there's some pretty dark places that i well there's one that i found i found but like you are you do you feel like do you feel that that the kind of I mean, do you, are do you are you ever worried? Do you ever feel attacked by these people? Do they ever come for you? Like when an episode goes up, I'm sure your abortion episode, and you've got more than one, but I'm sure that you know an episode about you know sexuality, or as you mentioned, you have a trans, the science of transgender, the the uh, something about abortion. I mean, do you do you get like hate mail? Do you get people that are really angry? I uh, look for the most part, no. I will say. I mean, obviously, there's that guy. You know, every now and then they they're coming on Twitter. We actually <laughs> the reply guy. <laughs> the reply. The reply guy. We yeah. um were almost gonna do an episode about Twitter when we, which was basically related to how many like trolls and bots there are on there. Mm. Um, and once we realized like these huge numbers of people, and obviously trolls are human beings, but they're human beings that aren't. Are they? I, I like to say disingenuous. Um, <laughs> and so once I remember Michelle Dang, uh, the producer who was pitching this episode, and once she started giving these numbers of just like the sheer numbers of either bots or trolls on Twitter, I actually deleted the app. And I was like, oh, I just cannot let myself even lose five minutes of my day to to this. And like, so I don't have the app on my phone, but I do check it and I do tweet every now and then about the seasonal right. flu and I do get annoyed when people write right. stupid oh, things. Oh, that's so good. But I don't, I'm, I really make an effort not to find myself in Twitter holes um, and things yeah. like that, which I which I was doing at one point and then I, I really, I really have a hard time working out like, what people what's something people genuinely feel what are they just like being annoying and making talking points about and so given that if that's the world of twitter i'm just like I, i'm not i'm not gonna let myself get upset about that like this- so that's very that's very smart <laughs> thank you i mean it sounds like it actually sounds like you've well insulated yourself against what i would i feel like i mean i you know we are we talk about controversial things in this podcast it's very free-flowing and there's a certain kind of listener i think at this point they're like okay i'm I'm here for whatever Josh is, you know, whatever, you know, insanity Josh and Ryan are going to talk about each week. But, but I, but, but I think if I were tackling every week, if I were saying, okay, this week we're going to tackle abortion, I, I think it would be, I, maybe I would also delete the Twitter app because I think it would be uh, intolerable to see the responses to it. 
I'm not saying that you can tolerate it, but I understand why you no, would want I, to. No, I'm not even trying. I'm not even trying to tolerate. It. I mean, I, I, <laughs> right. I, I will say this. I, this is like you could interpret this data point however you like. Um, but we started releasing our transcript um, with because we have like fully cited scripts. They often have more than a hundred citations and stuff like that. Um, and the transcript is just like fully citation, 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 dumb pun, citation, citation. And, mm. and we started releasing that about in season three or four, let's say. So maybe like the, the first two or three years in. Um, and that was a decision I made. At first I didn't want to because I, I just like wasn't sure how people were going to use it or if they were going to misinterpret it. But we, because we did get people being like, well, where are you getting that from? And what does that mean? And I don't trust this. And I shouldn't really put on that snarky voice because I do think it's fair enough that if you hear <laughs> yeah. something yeah, in a how podcast. how dare you? Um, you know, people are allowed to ask questions. People are allowed to okay. ask questions. I guess because I knew how much work I'd put into it and I was like, what? Um, yeah. You question well, Listen to the disdain you have for your question. Of, of, of all the people you think you would, you would want to hear from, it, the people who are actually asking questions. All right. No. So anyhow, so these so, horrible people, these nasally horrible didn't people. Didn't trust me. I mean, particularly at the beginning of the podcast in America. America when you've got right. this like you know in Australia I'd kind of got like a little bit of a name for myself as a science journalist that you could trust that does good work and blah 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 but I'm flying to America no one knows me from a bar of soap all of a sudden I'm telling them like gun control could actually work and a lot of your ideas mm. about abortion you know are, are scientifically accurate obviously you're gonna get people being like where are you getting that from and so once we <laughs> right. started releasing the transcripts we actually did get less of that. And when we do get it, we just send people to the transcript immediately. So I don't need to spend hours on Twitter responding to people or, or Facebook or whatever if people have like a genuine question. And, and and the thing is, I don't even need to question whether it's genuine because they might be like, where'd you get this from? Or they might be like, oh, where, where did you get this from? And I don't need to analyze that. I can literally just be like, here's the transcript, all the science you need that we read. There you go. And that is often the end of the discussion because if they weren't genuine, then they're like, well, that seems like homework now. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, Link. Yeah. Oh, no. And then if they were, um, then now they, they have our, our citations in and, you know, th and then they're done. They, they, they read right. it themselves. Right. Right. I mean, though, I mean, I think that makes sense. And, and you know, especially when you're discussing very sort of complex ideas and you've got you're talking to experts you're going to want to be able to show point people to the work showing the work is always very good so so let me so we've talked a lot about like things at present where you're at how you're getting your feedback i've basically focused on the the worst parts of it the probably haters, which is right. the people who are the, the haters who are with the nasally voices and uh, uh annoying questions let, can we go back a little bit how why why are you doing this how did this start what is the i mean what you know like what led to science versus there had to have been a the moment, journey. Are you looking of, for the journey? Yeah, the journey. I take me from from childhood to science versus so, no. But there had to have been a moment, right? Like where this is like I need to do this. I tell me about why this exists. Why you felt you had to do it? How it started? Give me a little bit of the origin. Yeah, story. sure. So um, I was science journalist for a long time, and so I, I always loved like explaining science um, to to people and telling science stories. So that was kind of the baseline. And then what really kicked off Science Versus is I was asked to, um, so the Australian Broadcasting Corporation was moving into making podcasts for the very first time. 
And they knew that I was like good at talking about science on the radio with like scientific discoveries and you marsupial often. Um, it's Australia. And uh-huh. it's just all marsupials. <laughs> it's all, it's all, all the marsupials. They either did something yeah. cool or we got a new one. And, yeah. um, and so I was asked like, what, what ideas have you got? And that week, I think Gwyneth Paltrow had suggested that women steam clean their vaginas. Mm-hmm. And this was kind scientifically of scientifically sound, scientific, as everyone knows. Yes. And it was like big news. You know, this was before Goop. So she was just like her star, her, her health guru star status was about to start rising. And, um, and this got a lot of attention. And I just thought that is the, so stupid. And like, but at the same time, it got attention, but not people, not, not necessarily people being like, this is really dumb. And like your, your vagina is clean and fine and you don't need to do anything to it um but rather just like hmm interesting and Gwyneth says this and I was like (laughs) okay here's the idea science versus Gwyneth Paltrow and that's that's basically how I put pitched it and I was like we're gonna take these ideas that in the zeitgeist and we're gonna use humor and explain to people what the real science is um right and then it was picked up and that, and then really, I, I hadn't really done even that much radio. I didn't even really listen to podcasts. I had, I, 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 I hadn't, I'd done interviews like this before, but I hadn't like yes. sat down and made complicated radio before. Um, and so I didn't really know what I was doing, but I knew how to be a science journalist. And so the, the right. show ended up do, doing well. The, the story is I woke up one morning and um, Roman Mars had tweeted about it, uh, which from Australia was very odd. And uh, like just like all of a sudden, you know, back when Twitter wasn't so horrible and I had it as an app, my phone was literally blowing up. It was like one of those stories. And I was like, where did this come from? And like Roman yeah. Mars had sent out a tweet. I don't even know how he heard about my little Aussie podcast. And then um, from there, it started charting in America and then Gimlet Media heard it and then Gimlet Media flew me out to New York. And that's how I got here. And they were like, they're like, come to America. Everything is fine. Right. to worry about Land here. of dreams. Um, Land of opportunity. Yes. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I, so wait, you did the Gwyneth Paltrow episode, I right? No, and I, 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 no, that's like an Alanis Morissette ironic, but I never did it. I have never done it. Wait, are you joking? You're joking. No. You didn't do, you didn't do the, because it's, I, because I actually, I, I uh, ran a website called The Outline and we had a, we did a story called The Unbearable Wrongness of Gwyneth Paltrow, which was in 2017. Um, and, uh, and it was just about this exact topic, which is the, the junk science of Gwyneth Paltrow's, um, you know her yeah. whatever well, her, we, her we did it. bullshit. Yeah, I guess there was well because I I guess we had the paleo diet to to unpack. Yeah. And- no, you I can't believe you pitched the vagina steaming debunk and then didn't I do never it. Did it. I mean, I don't know. That's crazy. It, why you have to do it now? I guess it's so. Time. I mean, now I feel like it's it's done. It's debunked, right? Like no, no I don't know. I, I don't know, but not in your not in the science versus style, it's really. True. Not with an Australian accent. <laughs> So I think, which is, that's it. No, but I think that's interesting. I love, because the ideas, you know, I mean, like when you hear it, it's like the perfect pitch. I mean, what you just said is, you know, if you were, I can totally see a room full of people going like, oh yeah, that's really good. We need that. And it makes sense, especially at that time. And especially right now to just go, we're going to put things to the test. It's also hard to make it like fun and conversational. Science can be, I think you know, this can be very taxing to a person's brain. Yes. You're like, I I don't know. I can't deal with these details and these 
this data and this, but like to put it in a conversational, like I was just listening to your episode about lab grown meat and uh, the topic I'm interested in it because I'm a largely vegetarian, at least I'm trying um, very hard and have been mostly successful, but I'm very interested in ways to eat meat that doesn't involve the, the death of an animal. And so I was listening to that episode. Uh, now, a lot of people aren't that interested. They might be interested in the, in the outcome. Uh, but I think you make it, you, you make the, the, I mean, to say it's conversational is one thing, but you take very complex ideas and you break them down in these really interesting and, and accessible ways. You know, has that been, obviously as a journalist, you're always doing that to some extent. Has it been, has there been a learning curve there with how, what works and what doesn't when you're telling people things about how science views a particular topic? Have there been things that haven't worked when you've tried to explain something that you feel like just didn't connect with people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it definitely has been a learning curve. And I think having a, a team is really helpful for that because I'll write something and everyone will be like, that's really confusing. Um, I still, but, but then they'll jump on that and, you know, producer Rose Rimler might be like, well, what about this? What about maybe if you described it like this and then someone will be like, what if you do? So it's definitely, and I think the fact that we're like talking it out is helpful to land on whatever metaphor we get on. But early on to, to, um, to answer your question, one that we really struggled with because, uh, you can describe a lot of concepts through analogy and, and things like that. Um, and of course the trick with analogies and metaphors is it just gives the listener a sense that they understand what's going on when maybe not, you don't necessarily understand it. Um, uh, which yeah. I know because that's how physicists often explain like deep physical or mathematical concepts to me. Like they'll just be like, you know, it's like the leaf. And I'm like, I don't think it's really like the leaf, but I appreciate you trying. <laughs> but, um, but when we tried to describe what the clitoris looks like, we really struggled. That was with the G-Spot episode. And right. I mean, it's an amazing shape that like sort of wraps around the vagina and this, you know, I think now it's quite known. When we did the episode, it was a little bit of a revelation that, you know, the little nub you see is literally the tip of the iceberg. And it's like- just the beginning. It's just the beginning of the adventure. And right. but describing it, it's sort of like, we landed on, we ended up making a joke about it. I don't know how successful it was where we were like, imagine it's like Burt Reynolds mustache that has two arms coming on either side. And, you know, every time the scientists tried to describe wow. it, they would be like the lateral side and the blah, blah. And we were just like, oh, it's just a very yeah. difficult shape to describe. Um, as you're, <laughs> as you're describing, I'm actually looking at a medical, uh, dr drawing of the clitoris and i i do understand what you're saying about the mustache <laughs> thank you how but, would you but also well i'm looking at the wikipedia entry which maybe is not the is not the how would i i would have described it it looks like honestly it looks like a, a little gentleman wearing a coat uh you know and it, it, the coats the coattails are kind of <laughs> Do you see what I mean? The Radio is yes, hot well, sometimes. You know, it's like a cyclops. I'd say it's like a cyclops wearing an overcoat mm. is how I describe it. A hood with a hoodie. A cyclops <laughs> with a hoodie on wearing an overcoat of the same color. Uh, maybe? I don't know. I mean, it's very difficult. I'd say it's like, you know, Burt Reynolds mustache. Great. Is, it probably is the best I could describe. No, but you're right. It is a challenging. Also, like, look, it's it's audio, right? You don't have the... You don't have a visual depiction. You can't just say, well, look at the photo, you know, or look at this exactly. diagram. Now I'm looking, by the way, I'm scrolling like, the Wikipedia oh, yeah. entry right now, which is 
really detailed. And I, I have to wonder if it needs to be as detailed as it is. It feels like they went, oh, above and beyond. Like there's some, there, like, like maybe there's some men that really needed a, really needed this. Um, but yeah, no, I, so, so wait, did you actually describe it as Burt Reynolds? Yeah, we did. That, the, that's what we show? landed on in the end. And did you get a lot of feedback, a lot of negative feedback? About uh, not positive. I think mostly positive feedback. People are like, that's exactly how I talk about it when I'm talking about the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think generally, yeah. um, I mean, it's actually, if, if we would have gotten positive feedback, but generally for our sex related episodes, so we just did one about orgasm. Um, we actually don't tend to get a lot of feedback, which is my theory. My theory is America, some people in America are quite prudish. And so they, very prudish. these episodes no, we have, do very well yeah. in the downloads. So we know people are listening, but they don't like to retweet about them. No, no, or, no. We have, people don't like to talk about sex in America. It's very, we have a very strange culture and perhaps you've noticed. I mean, you're basically an American. So, I mean, you are an American actually, it sounds officially. like. So, uh, but you didn't live here, but you haven't lived here your whole life. I mean, we have a very strange relationship with sex. I mean, we're very pro-violence, as you know. Like, I all the time I'm watching television, I'm like, I can't believe this is on television. But, like, we are we will not show a breast. It's like we're very scared of nudity or sex. But everything else is completely fine with us. So I can totally understand people not sharing or talking about the G-Spot episode. Fun, totally, seemingly unrelated, but not aside to the G-Spot episode. I live in a house that was once owned by a woman named Alice Latis, and I don't know if she was. You talked about her at all. She wrote the book The G Spot, which is, I believe, like the first book oh. about. Yeah, and, and and the reason I, the only reason I know of the book's existence, uh, other than my years of sexual research, is um, that she used to own our house, and and my wife Laura has kept in touch with all of the people who've owned the house previous to us who are still alive, and it and we have her book here, and it's you know obviously a great read. But, but you know, the G-spot apparently hotly contested for a very long time. Yeah. What is it? By the way, where did you arrive with the G-spot well, uh, episode? So we spoke to – so Beverly Whipple is the woman I'm sure it's mentioned in that yes, book. The Whipple, the Whipple method. The Whipple. Yeah. She was, it, it, was, it was discussed whether the G-spot was actually going to be called the Whipple Tickle at one point. Oh, no. Um, oh, boy. Very, yeah. Wait. Maybe it wouldn't have gotten there. <laughs> The, the whipple, did. the whipple tickle, the whipple tickle. Okay. Um, great. And Good. then they went for G spot. Um, and so we arrived uh, after. I mean, the interesting thing that I, I, I don't know. I guess there's like a lot of interesting facets to the G spot. Um, but yes. one of them is the reason that. So, so uh, bottom line, the this idea of a G spot. It, it's way more likely to just be the clitoris that's like wrapped uh -huh. around and way bigger than people thought. And so for mm. some women, cause some women, they, there's no like spot. There's no like anatomical spot. That's like a little button and you press it. It's and like, there it is. There, it's like we did an x-ray and it's right there. You can see it. Clearly. Exactly. Exactly. There's no, yeah. there's no spot. And so, but there's probably a region that if you press on some women, it hits the clitoris on the other side. And that's what's exciting. And so scientists have this like fancy word for it that's like the vagoureclitoris, like some, which is basically just like you're hitting the clitoris on the other side through the vaginal right. wall. But what right. was kind of even like bigger than all that was the fact that the the reason that the idea of the G spot was able to sustain and like live in the world for so long is because scientists, modern scientists hadn't analyzed 
the vagina and the parts around it closely enough so that when that idea came about they were you know science couldn't be like no there's no spot there they were like hmm maybe there is we haven't looked properly let's not not bother with that we've got more important things to do yeah and so whereas if someone had been like there's the pee spot on the penis and you press that they'd be like no 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 no. we've looked we've looked at the penis good and closely and there is no pee spot whatsoever they would have have been like we need to do a lot of research on this right now (laughs) exactly but with the G spot, they were like, "Sure, I mean, who knows what's going on in that in that hole of yours?" Um, so they were like, "You're hysterical. Get out exactly. of here!" Exactly. Um, and so it wasn't until the '90s, the '90s, like our lifetime, yeah. when uh, yeah. when a, a, a scientist actually properly started analyzing the anatomy of that region, and then was able to like look at the nerves in the area closely and actually like write a paper that's like, "This is what's going on down there." Um, so that's when the G spot myth came about in the maybe eighties, maybe late seventies. Um, so that, right. that's kind of the big story there. People, I don't know. It was a, it was a very fun that's, episode. That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I mean, that, well, I mean, it's interesting on several levels. Uh, the, the, obviously the science of it, which, you know, there you go. There's your show. Uh, not surprisingly should be interesting and you should want to hear about it. But I love that. I love that idea that, I mean, it's so perfect that of course the men, did just didn't care or weren't interested or what we're like scared to find out i mean it's crazy that we would have gone on that long with people just wondering about it yeah you know that seems that seems but you know this explains everything that's happening right now with with the kind of this sort of like idea of how 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 what we can know and what we don't know i feel like there's almost a willingness do you ever feel this i mean you do a show every day every week i assume you're talking about proof right you're talking about getting to the facts. You're talking about what the experts who've spent their entire lives studying this see and understand. And then you've got a whole world of people that almost don't want to hear it, right? You know, that would almost rather be in the dark. You know, does that does that frighten you? Does that does that freak you out? Does that especially now that you're in America full time? I mean, does that does that worry you about the future of of education and the future of humanity? Uh it's a big question. A bit, I'm like, I, are you worried I, about the destruction of the human brain? I, <laughs> I guess, you know, to be honest, I'm like, <laughs> like I don't look at Twitter, so I, I don't know. No, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not that so generous with my time and my like emotional labor that I really want to give those people that much of it. Is the truth, right. and I know there's a lot of there's a lot of people. You know, seventy million, like seventy two million people voted for Trump. Or something. I mean, and there's just there's so many people. people who who are idiots, who are true, <laughs> true idiots, and they're they're not only idiots because I don't mind naivety. I got no problem with like people who don't know the facts. That is absolutely fine. My job is literally to read the. I get paid to do this. Other people get paid to do other stuff. So like, not knowing stuff is totally fine. But like, but like being proud of ignorance and, and not, and, and being proud of whatever bullshit they think. I'm like, I got no time for you. You live your life. You go. I mean, I, I know in the world of coronavirus, it's, it's not, it's, it's not good because like they will become <laughs> right. spreaders, but like, but I, I can't, I don't, I have no, um, I can't do anything about that. You can't suffer fools. Is that what I, you're I don't about? have time to suffer fools. And I don't, I really don't want to spend my life trying to 
talk to those people and get them out of the bubble. Like they got themselves into that bubble, and I, I just like can't, I can't. I'm, I'm I know I mean, there's better people than I out there who are willing to connect. I make the show; it's there to listen. They can read the transcript. Those people aren't well, going to, and that's fine. It's it's sort of wild, actually, to hear you say that, just because you know your career is like speaking truth about you know things that are provable you are in the business of i and i by the way i completely hear what you're saying and i and i wish i had frankly some of the uh uh i don't know what the word is stamina to resist yeah the wisdom (laughs) thank you that's the word the wisdom the wisdom to resist because sometimes i'm like i have to respond i don't know why but i just have to but but you do a show which is like you know and i hate to you know maybe i'm 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 beating a, a dead horse but uh which is rude and you shouldn't do it um but but you know you do a show that is like, hey, here's information. I'm putting it out there. I want the world to know better. I want them to understand like the G spot. What is it? Does it exist? What should you know about it? I mean, that's, you know, you are to some extent, even though you say, I don't have time for this. And I, you know, you've got no time for people who kind of, who, who own and are excited about their own ignorance. True. But you are uh, providing a service that hopefully could potentially, um, all these like caveats and, and, qualifiers hopefully potentially maybe someday possibly get to the people who are who are walking around being yeah but i I have time for the curious i have time for the people i have so much time for people who just don't know and want the answer and who maybe have watched a little bit of fox news maybe spoke to someone who was pretty convincing about the volcanoes cause climate change or whatever and like and they're just like i I just don't know now i'm all confused and and i have so much time to, Wait, volcanoes? Volcanoes? Uh, you remember change? that? They were like, "Are you sure it's not the <laughs> volcanic particles in science?" I mean, that like... sounds right to me. Actually, <laughs> and, it sounds right. And then, I mean, in all, yeah. in all, you know, it goes back to that back in the, I think, the seventies or eighties. That was actually a question. Scientists were like, "Maybe it is." Maybe, and then they were like, "No, it's definitely not." No, we can see. We yeah. see it's definitely bosses. <laughs> it's yeah. definitely bosses. <laughs> exactly. But you know, there was a time when that was a genuine question, and then, like, for decades later, people were like, "But the volcanoes." Anyway, I. <laughs> I have time. So I have so much time for, for people who genuinely don't know and want answers. I just, the, the people who you're talking about who are just like so firmly entrenched and think they got the right answer and are so proud of themselves. I just like imagine them like chewing on a bone and like, I'm just like, I, yeah. I just hope wow. you don't destroy the world on the way down. But I, I can't <laughs> give you. Chewing on a bone is a vivid, very vivid. Don't you think uh, that's it? That's what I see. Image. You know, whether whether you it's, mean like they're like cavemen? Is that what you're saying? I, or just like I don't know. Maybe it's you know what I'm imagining is um, and maybe this helps me get through my day. But I think there's a scene in The Lion King where the hyenas are just like chewing on a bone, and they're just like, rah, 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 rah. and that's kind of what I imagine <laughs> those corners yeah. of Twitter where people are just so proud of their ignorance, and I, I just yeah. Hyenas. Hyenas, right? I, you're gonna get. I got. Yeah. I feel. I feel that you're gonna get. You're gonna get people mad at you on Twitter for this. You know what? It's but it's fine. You're not looking. I'm not That's great. Okay, so listen. It. It's fine. No, you're not reading, so they can say whatever they I want. Okay, so that. we have. We only have a little bit more time, but I want to ask you. You've had Dr. Fauci on the show more than once, yes, right? Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah. So you're good friends with Anthony Fauci, the greatest Besties, uh, epidemiologist. Is he an epidemiologist? Is that his actual Ooh. title? What is he? Well, we don't know. Well, you, maybe you'll do an episode about it. <laughs> what is At any rate, so, so, so look, so we're at a really interesting point with coronavirus. Obviously, it has been, I mean, if you're interested in science, this is a topic that is, and certainly the show has, you know, episodes about this. But um, what, what is your, give me a little bit of your prediction. I want to hear 
and maybe this will make me feel better or worse, I don't know. Tell me about what you see 2021 looking like based on all the things you've learned, all the people you've talked to, like Dr. Fauci. Give me your prediction for what's going to happen next with coronavirus, because you know, I mean, at least you've been listening, what you think next year looks like for us and, and, and where we are in on November, uh, mid-November of 2021. Okay, mid-November, all right. Just a small, small all question. Right. This is, okay, yeah. I should um, caveat all of this with just this little anecdote and then I, I in, you can obviously cut this out, but we play, we made a bet after we did our coronavirus season um, which finished in, in June. We basically did you know, 21 episodes, working our ass off reading absolutely everything we possibly could about the coronavirus. And at the end of the season, we made a bet with the team about when we would be back in the office. Um, mm. And I said, I think, like, like what would have been two weeks ago? So oh my God, you were you were one of the what very was hopeful. I thinking? What was I thinking? I it was so <laughs> stupid. Um, I know it was so so that no, it's it's fair. I've had a series of meetings with with people at our at our company, and and they're like, you know, I think in a couple of weeks it's going to be. I'm like, mm, I don't know. I, I do think there's like you have that hopefulness. You're like maybe right, right. It is going to like clear up. Yeah. So so okay. So with so with now now that I've put my credentials out there as a as a fortune teller. Um, so okay, this is what I think uh, will happen. Um, I do think a vaccine will become available sometime next year. It'll it'll first go out to healthcare workers or certain groups of high risk people. Um, some people are going to take it. Some people won't. Um, there's going to be a lot of talk of that, but I do think I do think a lot of people are going to take it ultimately. Um, and yes, it, and I can't I can't wait personally. Yeah, but I think that in the meantime, there's going to be so many articles about how no one's going to take it, and so too few people. But I, I I do think once it once we start seeing real data and not like because right now we just have press releases um, about these vaccines. Um, is, but I do think once we get real data around what are some of the side effects, you know, that the press releases say they're not seeing anything serious. But I, I want to know more. But but I do think the word is going to get out and even Fox news is going to ultimately be for this vaccine. Um, mm. And so I, I think people are going to take it. And then I think for, for people like us who are relatively healthy, not on the front line, um, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll get the vaccine by, oh, maybe by October or something. Oh, um, that late. I, I think so. I think it's going to take a really long time to get the, the vials and the glass and, um, yeah. And all the, yeah. you know, all the logistics, the refrigerators, the refrigerators, all that stuff. Yeah. So I think, yeah. I think, and it's, and I, I heard a, um, a scientist describe the end of the pandemic as a, a fizzle, not a bang. And that feels right. Like, I think still yeah. in my head is this idea that it's going to be like when the election was announced and we're all going to have a snow day. Um, but, <laughs> but I don't think, I think it's going to be real. Like, are we, can we, can we start doing this now? Can we, Oh, okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Um, I think that's. Right. Cause it won't be like on one weekend, we all go in to the doctor's office. Everybody gets it. And then on Monday we're like back to the office. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's right. going to be a real slow burn. And I do think there's going to be a couple of different vaccines and people will probably be like, which one do you get? I got Moderna, I got Pfizer. Um, 
Yeah, that's kind of that's my all right. Let's mm. should we say should we say in a year? Let's see how I did. That's good. So you're saying in a year from now on on in mid November, you and I potentially will be able to go to a bar and have a drink or go out with a group of friends or have dinner normally. Yeah, I maybe. I think so. I think so. So like a so like a Christmas miracle basically is what we're really looking at. Yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> got another year. Oh god, oh another god. year. I know. I know. Even just as I was like saying that, I was <laughs> I was just going back to the hyena. I was like, now it has my face on it. Just like <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, you know, it's at least something to look forward to. Honestly, I was I have been saying, oh, like maybe middle of next year we'll start to get it. But I like that I'm hearing a less uh ambitious, probably more realistic version of this because I I'm scared of being too hopeful at this point about anything. I'm kind of like, well, just settle in, folks, because we're going to be here for a while. I've honestly, listen, I'm maybe I'm used to it. I think I, I kind of like it. I like not going anywhere. I like not doing anything. Sure. I feel like sure. I've spent my whole life going places and doing things, and now I get like, you know, I've for, I'm forced to consider stillness, which is having some interesting, you know, side effects. Anyhow, okay, I've kept you on longer than than I said I would, but you know what, you're extremely so, Wendy, so interesting to listen to and to talk to. And I encourage everybody who has ears, even if you don't have ears, uh, get, go on and find this, go find this podcast wherever you listen to the Science Versus. It's so interesting. The episodes are, every episode is so engaging. Uh, Wendy, you're you're such a, a, a fascinating host to listen to on the show and such a fascinating guest to listen to uh, in a conversation. So thank you so much for doing this. Please come back soon. Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, we'll do a check-in uh, uh, and see where things are at with the with the, with your prediction. That sounds sometime great. Sometime next year. That's, I hope you're so right. That, I hope you're right. Can I say that? We oh God! Check. Like, yes, you, you definitely can. <laughs> I hope I'm right too. Oh, thank I get you no so award much. for it. It's, oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this was super fun. Thank you so much. Well, that was fascinating. Yeah. No, uh, Wendy, incredible, an incredible guest, and certainly welcome back anytime. As far as I'm concerned, uh, and I'm a big fan of science, as you know. Uh, in fact, I in fact I I just read this great paper on um, chemtrails, which you should check out. Um, <laughs> it's, it's quite a no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, should we should we wrap this, baby? Yeah, let's do yeah. nice things and get out of here. Let's do it. Let's do it already. Okay, you um, go first. You always have. You're always so good at the nice things. I'm obsessed with the Ratatouille musical that TikTok Gen Z TikTokers are making. Um, unprompted. They've decided to put together a Broadway musical for the film Ratatouille um, based off of one very catchy jingle, which is uh, I'll play here because I'm not a very good singer. Okay. And now good luck getting that out of your head. Um, and then they went ahead and they made like the act two finale song, the like villain song, the like introduction to the restaurant song. And they've designed costumes and they've set designs and they made a playbill. So if you go on TikTok and you search Ratatouille musical, um, the, everything you need to put together like a Disney level Broadway show has been done by Gen Z influencers. And some of it's really good. Some of it's really good and really funny. Some of it's really bad and really funny. It's just, it's, it's 
we're all so cooped up, especially theater kids, with like nothing to use our talents on. And it's really cool to see people just decide to pick something and execute on it. Like it doesn't need, they don't need a reason, which I love. And that, that song that I just played has been in my head for like days at this point. So now it's in your head. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the one thing I've, and I've talked about this before, the one thing that I've been consistently impressed by, and I think it really is a, a moment unlike any other, like, and I, I never expected this to happen, to be honest. Like what, what's happening on TikTok is there's like a ton of unbridled creativity happening there that's just completely organic. Um, and this is a great example of it. And I, I have to say, like, you may discount, I, I originally discounted TikTok and I still have, like, I still think there's a lot of like, problems with tic-tac and tic-tac tic-tac did i say did i say tic-tac twice no you just, or just one time you know i i i i think this may change your mind about tic-tac and certainly i think there are still issues with it you know th- there still is like a a high volume of like scantily clad teen girls dancing to music like which you know i think uh maybe you know I don't as a as a as a dad now I'm kind of maybe a little bit more like oh that's unusual and maybe not great not a great <laughs> not a great signal to send to the young girls of the world but um but then there's a ton of other stuff that isn't that and if you actually go down those rabbit holes and you have and you avoid the stuff that's a little sketchy like you actually find some really uh, amazing um and sort of inspiring um moments and so my opinion on TikTok has has changed like dramatically and not for nothing I mean I think Trump being against TikTok has made me very interested in being pro TikTok. So congratulations to Donald Trump for um, creating a new TikTok fan. And to uh, the rat of all our dreams. And yes, I, I guess so. I mean, I don't know. I'm still, I'm still confused about the plot of Ratatouille. It's a rat cooking in a restaurant, which feels like a massive health violation on just like so many levels. But uh, my understanding is he's controlling a person. It's very complicated, I guess. But um, yes. at any rate. So my nice thing is, is uh, I think probably in a familiar space for me, but but for whatever reason this week, um, Zelda started being interested in Super Mario Two for the NES, and which and two? The the, the, the the American one, I guess so. Whatever's on the classic, the NES classic. Yes, okay, so the uh, American one. The the which is a a unbelievably frustrating game to play. Oh my very, god! Very very hard but i will say that you know she plays a lot of games that are very forgiving and i was explaining to this uh, explaining this to her last night because we were playing it and she was like dying a lot as one does in every super mario game and you know when you first start playing it's uh, it's like so frustrating you want to cry and 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 even for an adult by the way not just for a child no and, definitely. <laughs> and and like and and so i was explaining to her you know in the old days video games were not forgiving they didn't have you didn't have like a lot of chances. You didn't have like if you fell off the cliff, you weren't bounced back onto the cliff. They they were just they're just merciless, you know. And I was saying, you know, this is just a merciless uh, experience. But like getting good at this will make you good at a lot of other video games, you know. And she, I think, is starting to get into it and, and wants to be challenged by it. And I think that's exciting. Just um, also, it's gotten me playing it, which. I never played, I'm not a big Super Mario fan, and I really never even played Super Mario uh, 2, which Laura has played extensively. I have very little um, knowledge of or experience with, and so I'm also kind of discovering it. Like, Laura knows all the secrets and the weird little, like, tricks and stuff. I, Zelda and I are just completely flying blind, but I think it's just, 
it's fun and interesting to go back and remember. I mean, I got, you know, this is the week off coming off the week that I got the PS5. You know, I've, I've you know, I've been playing all these next gen like uh, uh, PC games. And like, it's interesting to go back and play something. It's funny because I was talking about Demon Souls. I was asking Twitter if I should play Demon Souls, which I know is a merciless game that is very hard to play. And I mean, it looks really beautiful. Like, I kind of want to get it because it looks so beautiful. But I don't think I would enjoy it, but it is interesting to go back and play a game that isn't that doesn't give you a lot of chances to play with Zelda. I think it's interesting. It's rewarding in a way that she's learning the type of gameplay that um, rewards really honed skills. And just generally speaking, I think like there's a time and a place for both things. I think there's a place for absolutely a place for just being like, hey, I'm having fun playing a game and I don't need to win. I play my games on easy. I'm mostly interested. I'll, I tend to play games that have a storyline and I'm mostly interested in like seeing how I can play through that story. I'm not that interested in becoming like the greatest fighter or the greatest shot or whatever. Um, but I do think there's something really, really satisfying about like also doing it the hard way. Um, and yeah, it's just been fun. It's just been a fun experience, fun and frustrating. I mean, she gets, she can get very frustrated as can I, but it's also a very rewarding when you actually win the thing. There we have it. Goodbye. Bye. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best, though I've just learned that your entire family has moved their social media conversations to Parlor, and you're not going to be joining them.